The Rabbit Infectious Podcast Episode 6. This podcast is for listeners 18 and older and contains horror themes and strong adult language. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. Because of the obvious threat to untold numbers of citizens, and because of the crisis which is even now developing, this radio station will remain on the air, day and night. This station and hundreds of other radio and TV stations throughout this part of the country are pooling their resources through an emergency network hookup to keep you informed of all developments. are now infected. Rapid infection is a cruel curse that drives one mad with rage. Welcome to the Rapid Infectious Podcast. Join Mac, Megan, John and Belinda for a discussion of darkness and horror. Recording from the new Portable Studio, this is the Rabbit Infectious Podcast. I'm Matt, and I'm your solo host for this episode six, and uh, we did a couple things a little different for this episode. Uh, Number one, we're testing out some new equipment, such as the new Portable Studio, so we can bring you podcasts from different locations and uh, possibly from some events. Uh, We also went ahead and, and conducted an interview with Corey from survival tech and uh we talked about everything from hunting to gaming to uh survival items that that every car should have to uh firearm selection in case a zombie apocalypse comes and uh we talked about horror in general and uh some of their favorite horror movies so hopefully you guys do enjoy that interview we uh when we started the interview um we had already been talking for for a little while on the phone and uh, we started drinking, and uh, it it turned into a really fun time. We were going to, <laughs> you can definitely tell that we were going full throttle at half speed through the whole thing. And uh, for the amount of alcohol that we consumed, I don't think it turned out that bad. So hopefully, you guys enjoy us, and uh, you definitely enjoy you know what what we plan to bring you you know for that interview. Um, on another note. We tried to do the interview with Skype, and uh, Corey had some technical problems on his end. And as soon as we get those ironed out, you know, anytime in the future, when we interview Corey, it'll definitely be through Skype and a lot better quality. Uh, what we had to do was actually set up a speakerphone onto a microphone, and we ran it that way. So there's a couple spots that are a little bit muffled, but other than that, it the quality's pretty decent and you can definitely you know you can definitely understand what were what Corey and Jason were, were trying to get across in the interview um, as far as that I do have something that I would like to bring up I would like to thank Aaron Grant at underground of the macabre podcast he uh, 
He's got four episodes up right now on his website, which you can go to our website, which is ripshow.webs.com, and go underneath the links, and uh, we have a link to his website. So definitely go and check Aaron out. But he's got his four episodes up. Uh, The last two are about serial killers. And uh, even if you're not really into serial killers, he's got some really good information that is not really covered in some of the movies that have come out about some of these serial killers. And uh, in the fourth episode of his, he took our intro and kind of cut a little bit of a promo for us. And I would like to thank Aaron for that. Um, so, without without further delay, uh, let's go ahead and uh, get right into the interview with Corey from Survival Tech and his friend Jason. This segment is brought to you by www.survivaltech.webs.com. Survival Tech with Corey. Be the last man standing. All right, and welcome back. We have uh, Corey and Jason from Survival Tech with us tonight. And uh, we're going to be asking them all kinds of things about survival and about horror survival and about different situations. And they're going to give us some insight on some of their favorite movies, um, some of the uh, the games, you know, for PlayStation, Sega Genesis, going all the way back to hell, even Atari, if if uh, they have any favorite horror games, and we're just going to talk about anything and everything tonight. So, without further ado, here is uh, Corey. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing pretty good. Not too bad. Well, good deal. What's new with uh, with uh, you know the actual survival? Um, is there any new products out there that you know might possibly help out if you're stranded or you got some you know psycho fucking hillbillies coming after you? The main things is uh, you're in survival situation. You need to have a way of starting fire, and we came across this uh, new item out on the market called uh, the blast mat. Um, it's a one-handed operation. It's got a magnesium fire starter all built in and a striker. Um, it's easily to be uh, opened and used one-handed. And it will start just about anything, um, including wet uh, kindling, um, no. with only one or two strikes of it. Now, like using leaves. leaves work. Get them back to the old roots. You don't have blast mats, but definitely I would look into buying a blast mat, uh, putting it in your bag, uh, your hunting bag, or uh, keep one in your truck. Um, number one thing in survival is always having a uh, a way of starting fire. Uh, when you're stranded alone, especially, um, a fire gives you a sense of kinship that uh, nothing else really can. Well, very good. Very good. Yeah, because I just use the regular magnesium with the uh, striker on top. How you, you know, I think Coleman makes them, Ozark Trail makes them, which is, that's the Walmart brand. Um, and I've always had really good luck with that. But yes, you did send me a, an email link and I checked it out. And that blast match is, is pretty damn sweet. I, uh, I heard it can even start desk fires. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's capable of uh, just about doing anything you need to do. Um, came across that. I can't think of the name of the uh, corporation that is making it um, right off the top of my head. Um, but you uh, do Google Black and uh, go to the manufacturer's website. Um, there are several videos uh, explaining their product and showing you uh, the uses of it, what all it can do. Not only uh, is Black Match nice, but kind of going low tech. Um, Vaseline and cotton ball. Take a cotton ball and you uh, pull it apart, rub Vaseline in it, um, it'll uh, burn once you get a lid for several minutes. It'll give you time to uh, get your kindling or your leaves or whatever you have around to uh, be able to start a fire. Now let's go ahead and fill in uh, the listeners on exactly who you are, Corey. Um, you are my brother, and it's not my homie. You're not, you know, just one of my buddies. You're actually my flesh and blood brother. Um, and we actually tried that one night, didn't we? Yeah, we, we did. We tested uh, several different items, uh, including just a plain old cotton ball, which uh, burned for about, this uh, is like, I guess it wasn't about 90 seconds, but it actually had a flame. Right. Uh, we ended up having to actually put out the one that was soaked in Vaseline um, because it was over five minutes and it was still burning up with a flame. Yeah. Not just embers, but it was actual flame. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty neat just sitting around thinking of things that, uh, normal household items that you have around that, uh, are able to do, uh, other things. Well, see, that's great because, uh, every time, every time that I, I went camping last year, that's, that's exactly how I used, what I used to start my fires, you know, because, uh, not only did it burn long, but it burned hot, and uh, you know it was it was perfect, man. It was absolutely perfect. Is there anything else that's uh, kind of new to survival um, that you guys are are kind of savvy to that you like? You know, is there anything out there that you guys just think completely suck ass? I mean, there's always new items out. Um, getting to actually test them to give my opinion on them. Uh, I haven't been able to get my hands on some of them, but uh, you always need a good knife, um, a strong, heavy-duty knife, uh, not a cheap Walmart plastic knife that uh, the blade stops at the handle. You need to go all the way through the handle to uh, give you strength and support when you're actually out there cutting down uh, trees or whatever you need to do to make a shelter and make a uh, fire, whatever uh, your situation may be. Uh, items that suck, uh, stay away from cheap stuff. You get what you paid for. I mean, um, a lot of stuff does work, and it'll work well for a few uses, but uh, it'll eventually break down. Um, I, myself, I like Walmart brand. I like Ozark Trail. Um, I use their products all the time. I don't really have problems with most of them, uh, but you really have to look at what you pay for and uh, test it out before you actually get into the situation. Now, like all rednecks, I ventured out to Walmart, you know, a couple times in the past week. And every time I go, I have to go back into the hunting section and camping section. And just to browse through, a lot of times they have the same old shit. But sometimes, you know, something new pops out at me. And I was wondering if you noticed... Uh, the Walmarts around us are, they're starting to go towards more Coleman branded items. Have you noticed that yet? And 
Do you know if there's any difference between the Coleman and the Ozark Trail? Well, I think that, you know, Coleman's a known brand. It's a good brand. It's been around for a long time in the outdoor uh, atmosphere. And uh, I think a lot of people can associate camping and outdoors with the Coleman brand. Um, but at the same time, it's not always the best uh, just because it has the Coleman brand. Um, I recently had a uh, Coleman lantern and uh, had a, it was a battery-powered lantern. And the light bulb uh, actually just went out in probably 10 hours of use. And, I mean, there's always flukes. There's always, you know, a bad bunch in the uh, back. But uh, you always want to test it out and give it a good once over. Um, I've not really noticed more Coleman products in there. I just look at overall everything that they have in the uh, area for hunting and outdoors. Um we have several other actual hunting stores around. Um, Buck Outdoors is one that's close to us. And uh, I got to say Walmart's got a better hunting and outdoor camping section than Buck Outdoors. Now, Buck Outdoors has firearms and fishing and outdoor gear um, that Walmart can't touch. But as far as camping goes, uh, I think Walmart's got to leave. I think the best thing for your buck well, very good, very good. Um, now let's go ahead and get into it because you know most of my listeners are you know horror based listeners, um, you know. But you always got stuff popping up like you know any zombie movie. You got to know survival. You know the people in Wrong Turn. If they're better, you know, survival equipped, and their knowledge was a little bit better with survival. Those hillbillies wouldn't have stand, you know, stood a chance. It's no problem. But um, let's go ahead and get into it. Why? Why don't you go ahead and tell us um, a little bit about? Let's go ahead and go with games. We'll start about games first. What survival or horror games do you guys uh, do you guys like to to play to? You know, not only. You know, to kind of reminiscent about the past, you know, like uh, some old PlayStation game or, but, uh, you know, what about, you know, what you guys are currently playing also, you know, that's kind of along the horror realm. Well, going back the way Sega Genesis had a uh, Zombies Ate My Neighbors, I think that was one of the first games that I got into uh, that was in the horror realm as far as uh, video games. But uh, since then, they've came a long way. Resident Evil is always PlayStation 1, but now Resident Evil is there. I think that's like Resident Evil 5 or 6 now, and they've always uh, always been a pretty decent game. Um, You know, going into our Xbox 360s and PlayStation 3s, now they got this Dawn, Left 4 Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and all them games out. Now, have you guys played Left 4 Dead? Okay. Have you guys played Left 4 Dead? I've played I've played the first Left 4 Dead. I, I guess there's Left 4 Dead 2 out now as well. I have played the first one. Um, it's it's kind of just like a panic game, you know. You you come into the, you're in this room and collect a bunch of weapons, whatever you pick your poison, you know, and then it's basically you got to run. Run as fast as you can and shoot as many as you can kill before you're 
dead too. Well, that's awesome because I I haven't had a chance to uh, to play that yet. I'm not really. I don't really have a whole lot of time to actually play video games, but when I do, I'm usually stuck playing something that's PlayStation Two. You know, I I have not upgraded yet to uh, you know anything higher than the PlayStation Two. Um, but Corey, let's go ahead. You know, and Jason, you ch- you chime in too. When I think of a game that's not only survival but horror based, you cannot help but think about Resident Evil. Because it says it right before you fucking start. It says, Welcome to the world of survival horror. Corey, why don't you tell everybody, you know, about us growing up and, you know, our childhood with Resident Evil. Because uh that is one game, you know, and I, I still have the director's cut for PlayStation One and uh um you know that that's the one that came with um the demo for number two. And uh, how I still play both of those. Yes, I remember that. Uh, that director's cut is actually my copy, and I wouldn't mind having it back sometime. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> going on, um, yeah, I, I can't. You know, I'll never forget the first time that we played that. We uh, rented it from the local video store, uh, and I still remember that. You know, our parents were remodeling our living room. We had the big TV slammed into uh, our bedroom, and. Uh, was nice. We had the uh, PlayStation hooked up to that. And uh, when you first start off, when you first go into the mansion in the Resident Evil 1, and uh, go through the little dining area and uh, back behind where the fireplace is, go in that first little corridor and go down the hallway and walk into that room and see that first zombie slowly turn and look at you. It the shit out of me then, and I tell you what, it still gives me the chills when I see that zombie look up at you because you know it's fucking on. I'm pretty sure the first time I played Resident Evil, I had nightmares for a couple of nights myself. <laughs> you know, I haven't played a game since then that's actually captured, you know, that sense. I don't know if it's just because I was young at the time when it actually came out, and it was like our first dose of, you know, holy shit, you know, at that time those graphics were badass. But I just, I have not found a game you know, that has, that has completely sucked me into that, you know, since, since Resident Evil 1. Have you guys... I don't, I don't even think it's just Resident Evil 1. I think it's, because I've played, I've played the newest one for the Xbox 360, and it, uh, I mean, I think it was Resident Evil 5, and it, it still makes you jump, it still startles you, it still freaks you out. I mean, it's definitely a very, a very intense and adrenaline Adrenaline-wracking game. I think as far as role-playing games go, that's got to be, you know, the number one game that really started it all as far as, you know, actual horror video games and, you know, first-person shooters. And, yes, there was, you know, some out before then, but uh, I think that really captured the, you know, the horror aspect and uh, the fear that you can get from a video game. Well, here's a question for you. Do you start off as Chris, or do you start off as Jill Valentine? Always, Jill. Always <laughs> start with Jill. I was never good enough to start off as Chris. Jill started off with a pistol, and uh, Chris, you had to work for it. Uh, plus, I never understood Jill could carry more items than Chris. Jill was a female, so that kind of always, you know, Jill's what made that game and the movies. Definitely. Uh, 
mean, that's that's the original that's the original character. Now that I have more experience playing video games, I would like to revisit first one and uh, start off with Chris just to see you know how it changes and uh, how it would you know change by finding different people like finding Barry and finding you know all these other guys that you met up with that were part of your uh, stars and uh, how much the game would actually change. Now here's the thing. Barry had the Colt Python. What the hell was up with that? Why are you stuck with a Beretta? Um, that's a good question. Because I Barry, think I think the yeah, first gun. Colt Python from the beginning. Well, I was mess with Barry in the dark alley. That's for damn sure. <laughs> uh, he. <laughs> What's funny is the red and blue ruby eye for the uh, for the tiger. Yeah, the tiger. tiger statue, you know, to get the Colt. Oh man, yeah, that gun right there, you know. What is it? You can if you beat the game Isn't it if you beat the game under so many hours you get the Colt Python when you when you restart and then the next time you do it you get the rocket launcher? Yeah, I believe so. But hell you can go through the whole game, you know, to get the rocket launcher later. And, you know, all you needed was the Colt Python. That's what I never understood, you know. Why Why was the first pistol that Chris got, why was that the Beretta? You know, hell, man, if it was me and the guy next to me has got a Colt Python and I just found a Beretta, guess what? I'm holding him up to get his Colt Python too, buddy. He's either going to trade or I'm going to shoot him first. That's right. <laughs> it is survival war. You know, make with the goods, buddy. So. And with the biggest gun, always wins. <laughs> now. I, I always like the shotgun, too. Oh, I, yeah. I always thought it was, uh, you know, I'm a hunter. So, you know, I mean, he's more both hunters. And uh, got to love the shotgun. You can do a lot of damage with the shotgun. I think just about any any role-playing or war game, there's, there's got to be a shotgun in my... Uh, my arsenal just, just about every situation. Oh, hell, even Medal of Honor. Uh, sometimes I play with my stepson, and uh, we go we go against each other, and I always choose the shotgun, you know, package, you know, because you can pick your package of, uh, you know, what rifle you want and everything else, and they give you, I think, I think, like three or four options. I always grab the shotgun, too. So, since even moving up onto uh, newer, you know, games besides Resident Evil, um, if I'm not mistaken, I have not yet played it, but uh, uh, with Modern Warfare, War, War, World at War, yeah, it's got a uh, zombie, uh, Nazi zombies, yeah, map pack that you can play. Now, is that what you guys are going to yeah, play later on tonight? I guess it is pretty cool. They, uh, I, I, I have experienced that one, and they, uh, it's, it's really cool because it, it's, it's a game that doesn't end. You, uh, they, you go through waves, and you, you can, you can order the map pack for it and get different maps. But the original one that comes with the game, um, they start you off in this building that has like two floors, and you get money for every zombie you kill, and you actually have to buy guns throughout this building, and. 
kind of barricade yourself inside the building after when wave of wave of nothing the zombies come through they get faster they learn how to move quicker and it just they don't die as easy and there's, there's certain select guns that you just have to have in order to survive and if you can't if you can't get those guns you're gonna die and it, it, it's a game of who can last longest you got to figure out you got to find out how long you can last and that's that's about the extent of the game it's, it's never ending you can go on forever if you're good enough now, is that the game that you guys are going to play later on tonight? No, that's Modern Warfare 2. Okay. We're, uh, we've been uh, recently addicted to uh, Modern Warfare 2, which does not have the zombie back. Which is a little side note, uh, the creators of Modern Warfare, um, from, uh, I believe it's Activision, uh, was let go from Activision. So it's uh, kind of neat to uh, see what they're going to come up with with the next Modern Warfare because they have progressively gotten better um, from my standpoint. I'm pretty sure they've already got it out. It comes out in like August or September. I, I can't remember the names. Like Black, Black Ops. Black, that's what I was thinking, Black Ops. It's, a, it's all Call of Duty, and all of them are made by Call of Duty. It's the same people who originally started the Call of Duty as the ones that does the Modern yeah. Warfare and the World at War. and They, they have like 12... 11 or 12 games, I mean, that have all been really good games. Well, very good. Very good. Now, we've been talking a lot about guns. Let's go ahead and we, let's talk about what guns to have. I've always been taught, look at your compass and have a gun going in each direction, meaning have four guns that you can count on. Now, if you have more, hey, he with most toys... When he dies, wins, you know, more the merrier, but every household should have the compass of guns, north, south, east, and west. Now, most of those are, you know, a rifle, which would be one, a shotgun would be two, a pistol, three, and then something small caliber, you know, whether it be some sort of a pistol, some sort of a rifle, hell, even air rifles. Now, go ahead and let's hear your guys' compass of guns that you would carry, and you could only carry four, and shit hits the fan, and zombies are ready to come and fucking eat your brains. What guns do you carry? There has to be a shotgun, period. Um, yeah, I, I think I would carry, I would want a semi-automatic shotgun, um, Let's give some brands. What's that? Let's give some brands in case somebody's you know wanting to possibly take three thousand dollars. Let's change it up a little bit. You guys have three thousand dollars to buy the four guns that you're going to want and need. Um, that's a pretty decent amount of money, you know, to buy firearms. What four guns do you buy following the compass of guns? Well, I mean, it it really depends on your money, and if you only have $3,000, um, let's start with, you know, if you gotta, have, you should have a rifle, a uh, shotgun, a pistol, and then something, you know, maybe smaller caliber, and let's start with shotguns. Um, if you have a, you know, higher budget, or you prefer the shotgun more, um, I myself would want a Benelli. Um, Benelli semi-automatic with the uh, inertia-driven system, low recoil, um, extended fire rate, 
uh, to knock out 13 rounds in 1.3 seconds, I do believe, um, which is pretty damn fast for a semi-automatic shotgun. And you're on target. That's accurately. Um, go ahead and take the uh, low ball number. Well, I mean, the low ball. if you're going to go low ball, me personally, I've, I'm a pretty avid hunter, and I own a Mossberg, and it has never, never misfired. I've had it, I don't know, 15 years, 14 years now. I've never had a misfire. I've never had a jam in it. I'm right with you, Jason, because I've got the Mossberg 500 combo. And I tell and you me, what, and I every time I pulled the trigger, that gun has fired. Whether it's hit what I shot at or not, that's my fault. But that gun has fired accurately every time I pulled the trigger. Not only that, accessories alone make that gun worth while. I fired a Mossberg 501 time uh, while I was hunting, and I pulled the trigger, and it did not go off. But there's a little. Well, funny story to go behind that. Uh, when you're uh, duck hunting, you're well, hunting pretty sure water you pull the twice and it didn't go off. <laughs> I pulled the trigger twice and it didn't go off. When you're waterfowl hunting, um, you're only allowed three shells. You have to plug your gun. You're allowed two, two, and then one in the chamber. Uh, I pulled up on a duck, and I fired five times with a pump action Mossberg. Uh, knowing I only had three rounds, I went boom, 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 click, click. Now, why I pulled that se- that second click off, I don't know. But <laughs> to this day, Jason will not let me forget it. Now, <clears throat> the gun will fire if it has a shell in it. That is correct. That was definitely user malfunction. But uh, that's just when you're you know in the heat of battle, even though I'm battling birds, uh, it's still heat of battle. Your adrenaline gets pumping. And... Uh, you always got to know how many rounds you have and uh, be weary of that because uh, you have three zombies coming at you and you know you only have three shells. Um, make sure they count and uh, reload before you get to the second click. You know, I, I think a lot of the reason why uh, I'm so... I like my Mossberg so much also is that uh, I keep it maintenance. I mean, every time I use it, it gets oiled, it gets cleaned. So I feel that if you have an article with it, you do need to have some sort of, some sort of cleaning product to clean your gun with because a gun only fires so long not being cleaned. Oh, you're absolutely right, unless you got an AK. So let's go ahead and let's move on. Uh, what's... What's the other three guns that you guys would absolutely love? Um, I'm not a big pistol killer. That would be more of Corey's um, cup of tea there. I myself, I prefer 9mm. Um, I think it's uh, low recoil. You can easily uh, reacquire your target. <laughs> get back on target and get that uh, second, third, fourth round fired accurately and downrange um, quickly. Um, okay. As far okay. As brands, uh, there's many different brands out there. Um, Ruger, Smith and Wesson make uh, very, very good nine millimeters. Um, I myself, I carry a, uh, a Desert Eagle uh, Baby Eagle nine millimeter compact. I hold 17 rounds. It's uh, light, compact, and it's dead on. Um, I can put 17 rounds down range and uh, it, it put them in a uh, in a circle about uh, four inches. Um, 
at about uh, 25 feet, 30 feet, um, more than what you have to encounter during a uh, close quarters battle. Um, but if you like a little bit more power, um, definitely. I know I, I prefer some automatic uh, pistols um, to revolvers, um, only for the fact that uh, you have, you know, carry more rounds with you. Quicker um, load time. Um, although the revolver doesn't jam, and that's uh, the one downfall with some automatics. Uh, but going up a caliber, um, 40s are great. A lot of people like them. I myself don't own one. I uh, haven't really had much exposure to them. Um, I would say go to a 45 some automatics. Um, the only thing is most most 45s are only single-stack magazines. So uh, you only have nine rounds, um, you know, eight, nine rounds, depending on the manufacturer. Uh, if you're going to go with a 45, go with a 1911. Go with a 1911, I'd say manufacturers, um, Colt, Timber, uh, would probably be your higher end, um, higher price. Um, Springfield makes an excellent um, mid-range. Um, I don't know of any real low-range. 1911s out there. Most of them have a lot of, you know, a lot of backing behind it. Um, that's why the prices they kind of driven with the mid-range. Um, and then if you want to go overkill on a semi-automatic, um, you can go up to a 10 millimeter, um, which is great. Bullets cut a man in half. Um, or if you want to go even higher, you can go to uh, Desert Eagle uh, 44 Magnum or a uh, 50 cal Desert Eagle. And uh, if you are a revolver person, nothing against you. Um, they are great guns. Uh, I would uh, get nothing less than a 357. A lot of people carry 38, meaning it's just not quite enough power. Um, I know it's pretty comparable to 9mm, but with 9mm, I have, you know, more rounds that I can put down range. I feel more comfortable with it compared to a 38. A 38 to get up off the gun. Yeah. And uh, that would be a good... 357, you can shoot a 38. Why not just go ahead and buy a 357? That way you have a magnum round behind you. Now, that's what I've never understood. I've always been kind of a. I've always kind of been an advocate for, you know, a gun that either shares bullets with another gun or is versatile enough to shoot more than one round. Um, I recently had to get. I, I got rid of a. Uh, uh, the judge, you know, made by Taurus. But what was neat about it was I could shoot 45 long Colt and I could shoot 410 shotgun shells. I've always liked guns like that that had vers, you know, that were a lot more versatile. And I've never understood why people with 357 or with 38s would buy just a straight 38 and not just go ahead and spend the extra 30 bucks and get a 357 Magnum. And you know, go ahead and shoot a thirty-eight round out of it. That's very true, and uh, I don't want to put down people that carry thirty-eight. Um, I think anybody that carries anything is uh, is great. Um, it is the uh, American way, and uh, you know we have the right to do so in many states, and I think everyone should take advantage of that. Um, but with the three fifty-seven, you can often shoot thirty-eight plus P's. I mean, thirty-eight plus P's. Uh, you can get a gun that shoots a uh, 38 that will shoot 38 plus, and uh, that does have a lot more power and is able to uh, take down 
um, subjects of, uh, with a lot more ease than I would say at 38. Um, but moving on up in caliber, um, I think there's many different, you know, it depends on the type that you're comfortable carrying. There's 41 magnums, a lot of the oddball size. Um, but moving to the main one, uh, 44 magnums. You just can't go wrong with the Smith & Wesson 29 or 629, uh, Dirty Harry, uh, you know, 44 Magnum. Um, that just says it all. You can get them from barrel length, from snub nose to uh, 8, 10 plus inches. And uh, I wouldn't recommend a snub nose, but uh, if you want to carry it, you know, and conceal it, it's probably the better way to go than a big 6, 8 inch uh, Smith & Wesson. But uh, if you are a hunter too, um, you want to strap on your side when you're out, you know, take game hunting, um, definitely carry Smith & Wesson. Or any, there's other manufacturers. Taurus makes a great 44 Magnum. Um, uh, I myself, I prefer Smith & Wesson. Uh, I even named my, uh, my youngest son after Smith & Wesson. And uh, they got a place in my heart, I guess. But uh, I'm not getting all soft here. Um, Smith & Wesson came out with that uh, big 500. And uh, I've not yet shot one, but I uh, really wish to. And... Um, Everyone I've talked to, you better be holding on to that fiber with both hands. Um, it will come back up on you, and uh, it will it can you know break your wrist if you're not holding on to it. Well, very good. I think that pretty much covers pistols. Now, why don't you guys go ahead and give me a quick review on not only rifles, because everybody knows that's that's going to be your third part of the compass. But then, what exactly you would have as your fourth part of the compass? Well, let's see. Rifles, um, I like the black rifle. I like the AR-15. I like two twenty three, um, five point five six. They're all great rounds. Um, a lot of people have them. There are a lot of, you know, a lot of different manufacturers from Bushmaster to DPMS, the Rock River, the Colt. Uh, what goes on? Uh, what's your a lot choice? Of copies, a lot of parts. Um, in a survival situation, you need to be, uh, all of these zombie takeover, or, um, who knows the endless possibilities that could happen. But, uh, with, a you know, AR-15, you can pretty much get, you know, magazine, uh, parts, ammunition, everyone's got them. They're, they're going to be accessible. Um, you, you got to pick it up off someone as you're walking down the street. Someone's got an AR-15. And uh, also with that AK-47. Um, that even goes with the, uh, you know, the cheaper WASR-10 uh, AK-47. Um, I fire, I own a WASR-10. And uh, it's never done me wrong. I got a uh, 330 round magazine and a 75 round drum. I can unload a 75 round drum. That, that'll get cherry hot it fires every round and on. You can throw that thing in the mud and pick it up. Talking reliability, getting AK. AR does have problems. Uh, it will not shoot some of the lower uh, ammunition. Towards like uh, Wolf, uh, my AR-15 will not shoot Wolf. I have to go with a Winchester or a Remington or a higher price round. And uh, with today's ammunition prices, uh, you might want to think about that. Um, that's all I have to do with the gas block. You buy just the gas block, so we'll get into that. But, uh, they say that that will take that out and you can shoot you know, lower ammunition. Um, I would definitely 
recommend an AR-15 or an AK-47 or some kind, some type of semi-automatic weapon. Uh, for my fourth one, um, 22, uh, 22 long rifle. It's probably the number one most versatile gun out there. You can take, you know, small game, you know, um, it's, you know, rabbits, uh, coral, um, and it has been known to take down deer. And uh, you had it's all about shot placement, but uh, if you shoot it right with a 22, it will drop you know, up to a deer. And uh, you do a lot with them. Um, they're rimfire, they're easy, they're simple. Um, you got everything from a Ruger 1022 semi-auto to like a Marlin bolt action. Um, very, very beautiful gun. Um, if you don't want to go with the uh, smaller caliber, which uh, I can understand, um, I definitely think a sniper rifle should be somewhere in the mix. If it's not maybe your, you know, four points in your compass, maybe add a fifth somewhere. I know it's against uh, physics, but uh, we can do it for our sake. Hey, fuck that, because there's also southwest and northwest and southeast. You know, that's all point of a compass. I, the way I look at it is, if I got zombies coming at me, I'm grabbing all the goddamn guns I can. Fuck your rules. <laughs> I, I want to take them out from a long distance and work my way, you know, work them towards me. The more you can kill before they get there, the better chance you got once they're there. Well, here's the thing, okay? If we're talking sniper rifles, a lot of people say, oh, 50 BMG, straight off the bat. Okay, guess what? You're not going to be able to find fucking ammunition for them. So... Give me a good recommendation on a sniper type rifle, whether it be for big game hunting, but something that can actually reach out and touch somebody with a range of about 300 to 600 yards consistent. Um, well, see, that's the way you can get into uh, personal preference. A lot of right. people battle it out. Um, there's a lot of good uh, rounds out there that are people doing that. Uh, there's a lot of good guns. Um, it all depends on uh, what you're comfortable with shooting, uh, with the recoil that you're going to do, uh, the price of the gun, the price of the ammunition. Um, obviously, yes, 50 BMG would be one of the top guns that I would want, but not so much for taking out you know, zombies, but for taking out vehicles, um, including you know trucks, zombies, tanks, uh, you know helicopters. Uh, those are what well, I would use a 50 BMG for. But going with uh, a little smaller caliber, I myself mine the 300 Winchester Magnum. Um, has one of the straightest trajectories of the big caliber. Um, it's been proven for years, and uh, on a Remington 700 base is what I would shoot it off of. That's a hell of a gun, Corey. And uh, I know Remington now is making a. Uh, a tactical version. It's a uh, Remington tactical um, extended long range, 301 mag, uh, 28 inch barrel, fully fluted, uh, floating barrel, and uh, that's uh, that is my my choice. A lot of people like 308. I'm not kind of down 308. I just think it's uh, overused. Um, I don't think it's. I think there's more potential out there. Uh, Jason, what's your thoughts on uh, sniper rifle? I like a 300 weather. I like, yeah, it's uh, what I like. All based on the 300 frame, um, but uh, 
uh, the caliber, but the name brand. It pretty much a little different powdery, um, but uh, still effective. Very effective. Um, easy carry. There's always uh, 7.62 by 54. It's been improving around since you know World War II. Um, the Russians and uh, made a hell of a gun with their uh, Mazda Nagant. I do believe. marksmanship I think a lot of people have forgotten that which is a shame yeah it's um it all goes down to the basics uh, you gotta remember that you gotta remember breathing you gotta remember you know um your sight acquisition and uh when everything is in perspective um yep well very good so you guys have given us some excellent recommendations on if you know we were going to stockpile for let's go ahead and say it zombie apocalypse. You know, regardless if it's just a you know a flu that is completely mutated, it could be anything. But inevitably, it's going to happen. So, well, very good. Thank you for the recommendations on the firearms. Now. Let's go ahead and get into what movies Survival Tech likes. What's been the, um, the movies that you've seen lately or the movies that you've seen in the past that have just kept on to you that that are, you know, definitely, you know, they got to be horror or scary movies. What are the ones that you guys like to watch? I think mine going back to... Uh little older movie. Um, maybe it's not quite as horror as uh, some of the other ones that we can, we can uh, think of. But, uh, definitely Red Dawn. Red Dawn had a uh, you know horror aspect of its own of the United States being invaded in the middle of uh, no idea what's coming at you. And I think that right there is uh, pretty scary shit. And with the, uh, the world the way it is, it's not so far-fetched. Well, here's and, the thing, Corey. Uh, I'm uh, proud to say that um, this year, November 28th, I do believe, 24th, 28th, uh, 2010, Red Dawn 2010 will be released in theaters. Um, so uh, get on YouTube. They have an unofficial uh, trailer that's posted on it. And uh, not only is it uh, us being invaded again, but it also doesn't forget its roots and uh, goes back to the first Red Dawn when the Russians invaded it. Um, but Red Dawn 2010 coming out in November, um, and it's Sam Chinese that coming after it. Uh, everyone's been talking about it for years, and now it finally happened. Well, here's the thing, buddy. When's the last time that you've seen Red Dawn? 
Has it been a while ago? A year or? ago. Okay. When you watched it, didn't it take you to a place that, you know, when we were growing up, I mean, we, we grew up in the 80s. You know, we were young, but, you know, we were, we we're products of the 80s. And, man, you know, it's like my stepkids. You know, we're, we're sitting there, and, you know, the last time that we watched it, you know, we've, my wife and I, we've, we've had conversations with them that, you know, you guys don't understand. You know, people now, they look at the war in Iraq and they look in, you know, the war on terrorism, you know, all together, you know, be it, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, wherever the war takes us and has taken us. And they look at it and then they forget about it and they go about their day. And man, I'm telling you what, when we were kids, it was completely different. I mean, hell, we had, you know, Rocky, where the Russians were going to get us. You had Red Dawn, the Russians were going to get us. Every fucking movie was, the Russians are going to get us. And not only that, you know, we were taught in school, you know. I mean, it was still, you know, almost, you know, part of the Cold War still. You know, the Cold War hadn't ended yet. That's just, that's amazing to me, you know, how how society has changed so much just to completely and utterly forget about what the hell's going on with the world. And, you know, people like us and, you know, our generation, we still have a little bit of fear, which is not a bad thing to have a little bit of fear because it allows us to prep for what is to come or what might not come at all. But we're still okay. You know, regardless, you know, Whatever way that, you know, the dumbass falls off the fence, we're going to be prepared. And, you know, you and I, we were raised that way. And uh, it's just amazing. You know, Have you noticed any changes about that? Yeah, I think uh, now more than ever, I think the United States is at risk of being hit um, again by another terrorist attack. Um and I think the next time it'll be on a much wider scale than what it was in, uh, in 2001. Um, yeah, for us, it's always been there that, you know, the Russians are coming to get us. But now so much is not necessarily the Russians. It's the many nations uh, hate the United States and hate what it's become. And uh, you got to remember, we were the world we were the world power for many years and now we're not and uh, that's hard for the United States to swallow and uh, I think we, we put ourselves at risk for uh, another another attack now if it's going to be on a grand scale like Red Dawn the only time will tell I hope not I have you know I have children and I don't want to see that for my children but um, if it does I will be prepared and if it doesn't then I'm just going to live a better life uh, being well, here's a big thing. You know, like you and I, it's not so much that we were made to shoot. But we knew it was going to be part of our lives. You know, we knew that, you know, growing up, you know, with our dad with, you know, guns and everything, we wanted to shoot. We wanted to know how to become, you know, the marksman that we can become, you know, the best, the best that we could be. 
you know, and it wasn't shoved down our throat that we had to be that way, you know, but we went ahead and we took it upon ourselves and we enjoy having firearms. We enjoy shooting. We enjoy prepping. We enjoy, I mean, believe it or not, you know, as, as fucked up as, a, as it sounds, you know, Corey and I used to make evacuation routes and mapping and aerials and, you know, doing whatever we could just in case, you know, and it, it wasn't because it was shoved down our throat. It's just because, you know, it was, you know, we were given the tools to say, okay, look, you know, there's, there's a possibility that something might happen. Are you prepared? You know, it's not necessarily that we're Boy Scouts. But, you know, we always took that oath and we took it, you know, kind of from her dad that, hey, always be prepared just in case. And, uh, you know, so I don't, even though I have some fear of, you know, what might come, I don't have as much fear as I think a lot of people are going to have if it fucking happens. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that, uh, you know, growing up has kind of shaped me into what I, what I enjoy, my hobbies, my, you know, what I do in my spare time. Um, and it's not only just waiting for, you know, in the world shit to happen. It's, uh, it's just you know, living a better life. It has, you know, moved on to, uh, I wish I would have hunted more as a kid and played less video games, but uh, now that I'm growing up, I've gotten away from the video games and have uh, enjoyed you know, hunting more. And uh, I got to thank Jason for that. He's really took me, took me out and uh, showed me a lot of things I was never exposed to before. And uh, now I'm feeding my family with the knowledge that I uh, first learned with uh, you know, target shoot and, uh, and shooting hands uh, out in the old gravel pit. But uh, I'm blowing up frogs too, but that's <laughs> but uh, I think we all did that as kids. Oh <laughs> yes. But uh, firecracker at the dad. Hunting has been a big part of my life here, especially the last couple of years. Um, and I only want to do it more. I want to expose my children to it um, more than what I did when I was a child. And uh, it's the satisfaction, you know. You know Satisfaction of you know going out, tracking, finding, hunting, killing, prepping, you know cleaning it, and you know taking it from the wild to your freezer yourself um, is very satisfying. And uh, when you sit down and you grill it out, you eat it, you know uh, what was done to it, how it was you know processed, um, the care that was taken. And, uh, honestly, say the love for the animal, because if it wasn't for the animal, you wouldn't be eating. And, uh, I think it only makes for a, a better you know, wildlife, um, for the future. Now, I think, I think that has a lot of bearing that says, you know, what type of person that you are, you know, by saying what you just said, you know, it's love for the animal. I'm sorry, but, you know, around here, there's, there's so much development. It's not even funny. And habitats are getting completely shut down because they're disappearing. And, you know, wildlife management is a big thing. A lot of people don't realize, you know, that if it wasn't for the hunters, you know, 
paying for tags, paying for licenses, you know, paying for stamps if you're doing waterfowl, you know, that money goes towards, you know, the wildlife foundations and everything else. Plus, you're managing, um, you're managing, you know, an actual habitat because if you do not keep the balance within that habitat, you know, more animals are going to die and get sick. And it's not like you're going to go out and shoot a button buck, you know, unless you absolutely have to and you have to eat. You know, a lot of people don't realize that hunters actually take, you know, what needs to be taken from the wild. And, uh, you know, that's that's something that I don't I don't understand how people can be you know, so blinded. Um, I'm also a hunter. I don't hunt as much as Corey and definitely not as much as Jason. And I've never taken a deer. I want to take a deer this year. I want to take one with my bow and I definitely want to take one with my shotgun. But, you know, every time I've gone out rabbit hunting, you know, I've never gotten anything. You know, it's never arisen to my, you know, to the moment, but I've always paid my money to get that license, you know, which in turn helps out the wildlife and habitat. And a lot of people think, you know, that might be, that might be a little bit soft or anything else, but it's exactly what you said. It's love for the animal, you know, it's love for all animals. And it it helps out the species before it gets completely overrun. Because, you know, we have a major problem around here with deer. And it's getting to the point where it's not funny anymore to see a bunch of deer in a field. Because it's getting to the point where it's actually, it's not only destroying crop, which is, you know, hurting money for the farmer. And that shouldn't be as much of a concern, you know, for a lot of people. But you got to think about that farmer's family also, you know, and a lot of places are getting completely overrun with wildlife. And I'm not saying complete, you know, eradication is needed, but management is needed. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. I don't know why. So what are your thoughts on that, Cor? Or Jason? Even Jason? Well, um... I agree with the whole the whole management for sure. Um, both places that I uh, I don't know. I, ever since I was about eight years old, I've carried a uh, gun on my shoulder going out in the woods. Not always been allowed to shoot with my family, but uh, I've always learned how to carry a gun, you know. And then on from there, and uh, place I always grew up deer hunting at. Um, the farmer who owned the property, he was actually a tree farmer. He, he that was how he took care of his family. He raised Christmas trees, and you know he, he had one time a year people come in and bought Christmas tree stuff, and that was a big portion of his income. How he took care of his family, and it got to the point out there that he brought us in because the deer population was so overwhelming that they were tearing up his Christmas trees, and he couldn't get his Christmas trees to grow, and he couldn't feed his family. So we, in return, went out and we. He got a permit, got us to go out there and kill some deer, and we fed our family for a while. So it, 
it all works out hand in hand. I mean, they repopulate, we continue to kill and put it in our freezer. I don't agree with people who go out there and shoot a deer just to get the antlers off of them and drop them in a trash can. You know, that's bullshit, in my opinion. Um, I'm by any means not a headhunter. I've killed three or four bucks now, nothing huge or anything that I've gotten out of or anything yet, nor do I care if I ever do. I I hunt to put food on my table, and I, I enjoy it. I do have a lot of respect for the animals, and it, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's a cycle, just like nature in itself. You know, if we don't kill them, the coyotes are going to, and then we see dead carcasses all over the place. Cars are hitting them and everything else. It's, it's all, you know, a, a big, vicious predator-prey cycle. It's how the world works. Good point, Jason. Uh, all these anti-hunting activists and uh, all these—I'll say the word tree huggers that are out there, though. You know, that's what they are. Save the, you know, poor little, you know, who bunny rabbits and you know, poor little white-tailed deer and Bambi and all that. You don't understand. They wouldn't be living in their four hundred thousand-dollar house that used to be a farm if it wasn't for you know hunters. Um, they wouldn't be driving around in their BMWs and their Mercedes Benz because they'll be hitting deer uh, right and left. Um, because with the population getting so big, they have nowhere to go but into the city. Um, there won't be enough food and water and shelter in the woods because woods are being you know taken away from them. They're going to have to go into the city, and that's just going to cause more you know havoc for everybody else and. Uh, in order to fight that, then you need hunters and you need, you know, the management of the, the deer population. And it doesn't even go with deer. Um, goose are goose those people. Um, they live it everywhere, um, but they are so protected because of the wetlands. Um, you have to buy a federal stand. You have to buy a state stand. You have to have a hit survey. Every time you go to you know, determine how many, you know, species that you took and, um, like the bag limit was and everything. And now you've got, sorry to interrupt you, oh, but to, to top that off with all that other stuff, which I am a very avid waterfowl hunter, one of my favorite hunting sports, um, you also have to buy still shot now because the same as Corey called them tree huggers, you know, complaining because, you know, your standard shot's a lead shot. Lead is soft, it flattens, it, it has a harder impact. You know, they've, but it's wet. So all these tree hunters out there, oh, you're messing up our economy, blah, blah, blah. Um, now you have to use steel shot, which is a little more dense. It doesn't fly as fast. It doesn't go as far. And it, does, it, doesn't, have, it doesn't have the knockdown power. So now instead of you hitting a bird and dropping it because you have lead shot, you hit a bird and it continues to fly and goes and dies three days later, ends up in somebody's yard because it washed up on shore, and they bitch about that. So it's a big fish cycle with them people, too. Me and Jason's been out hunting uh, here in Buckeye Lake, and uh, we actually, he was using a, a 10 gauge. A Remington SP10. Yeah, 10 gauge. I was using a Mossberg 835 uh, pump action 3.5 inch Magnum. We both shot the same bird. It was it was fun. Uh, you know, it was coming belly up to it. We seen the feathers, the belly move. With the impact of the shells, it just kept on trucking. Didn't even think twice about dropping. With with a lead shot, that bird would have dropped the first shot. But now 
that bird's probably dead somewhere because I'm sure that we penetrated. It just wasn't hard enough, and it bled out somewhere. And now you got 5,000 BB still laying in the bottom of the water instead of about 20 or 30 lead. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd take a piss, man, because I'm fucking drinking. I don't know what if you boys are drinking. I've said three times. But, uh, <laughs> Corey's sitting here like, well, I'll tell you what, uh, let's go ahead and, do you guys want to continue this? Uh, yeah, we can go for a little while longer and uh, talk about some other things. Uh, Alright, well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take a break because I've already pissed because I've already drank half of a fifth of some Captain Morgan and... These boys need to start drinking with me because I'm not a drinker, and I've almost got a fit, you know, half of a fifth, you know, shot. So um, we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna break. take a break real quick. Uh, everybody's gonna go get some refreshments and uh, use the restroom, whatever, and we'll be right back right after this. <laughs> Welcome back to the Hunt Cast, where we talk about all hunting all the time. No, I'm just kidding. This is the Rabbit Infectious Podcast, and I am Matt, and along with me tonight is a very special guest. We've got Corey from Survival Tech and his friend Jason, and we've talked about all kinds of things tonight. Everything from what guns to pick, just in case shit hits the fan, to uh, you know different video games that have been, you know, an influence on, you know, both survival and horror. And uh, we've talked about wildlife management. We've talked about hunting. And uh, now we're going to get into a little bit of their favorite horror movies, which is probably what my listeners has been waiting to hear. But here we go. Let's go ahead and get into it. Now, Corey and Jason, uh what are some of your guys' favorite horror films? Well, um, I wouldn't necessarily call it my favorite, but uh, as far as, like, through survival and guidelines and recent movies just come out with uh, Woody Harrelson, um, Zombieland. Uh, right at the beginning of the movie, it gives you a checklist of Rules to follow to survive. Um, I can't remember. I, I've only seen it once. I haven't really seen it enough to memorize the rules, but uh, I do recall a couple of the rules that uh, don't stop moving. Um, cardio. Cardio. Um, really good rule of thumb. You don't want to be winded, and uh, you don't want to just be a sitting duck either. Yeah. Don't forget double tap. Double tap. Yep. Um, 
it was like five or six of them. I know there was there was more than that. It was like I said, it was it was kind of a not not necessarily a favorite movie, but it was definitely a movie that had some good rule of thumbs to follow. Um, in a situation that may arouse like that. So, what'd you guys think of of the actual movie? I mean. A lot of people liked it. Some people didn't like it. They said it was the American version of Shaun of the Dead. I don't believe it was the American version of Shaun of the Dead. I thought it was just the American... It was just the American way of the zombie spoof. You know, it was definitely meant to be a comedy. I don't think it was any bit of a horror movie. But it was just a comedy with zombie elements. With a Um, little sense of a love story. Yeah. <laughs> Which is cool, because the guy's always got to get a girl at the end of the movie, right? I hope zombies attack them. <laughs> I know right where the house that I'm going to is zombies attack, and I know I have a pretty damn good shot. <laughs> we ain't going to run out of ammo, that's for sure. But you got to have a hot girl, too, buddy. Oh, I'll find one. <laughs> you have to repopulate. Yeah, uh... A line from Fido and uh, like a zombie chick. <laughs> it's all about that shit. Maybe you know, she's a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's a really good one, too. It's Fido. Now, what's your guys' take on Dawn of the Dead 2004? I think that was one of the greatest zombie films ever made. Um, agree. It had everything that a good you know, film, horror film should have. It had suspense. It had, you know, uh, I think it had a great storyline to it. Um, even though it was a remake, um, the zombies in it were uh, not your average zombies. Um, they were definitely uh, a kind of their own. And uh, I think it gives them more challenge. And uh, if, we, if I ever do come across a, a group of zombies, uh, even though it's more challenging, I don't want it to be like... Uh, and Don the Dead 2004 because uh, that'd be some fun shit. That's about all I can say about that. Uh, even though you're saying that they're, they, uh, sorry, I was closing up my little thing there. I had to get some food in my gut before I passed out. It is 2 o'clock, 2 30 in the morning. We drank over a 12 pack and I uh, just finished some cold ass calamari. So uh, give us a break. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, I would definitely. If I'm going to do it, we might as well do it fun, right? Have them fast and at least give them a little bit of a challenge. But you can't forget about, you know, the original, like, Day of the Dead. Um, was kind of one of the somewhat original zombie movies, you know, and it was, it was, it was a good movie. Um, I think I've only seen it once. I mean, going up to, uh, you know, one of the newest George A. Romero, not one of the newest, but, uh, Land of the Dead. Um, a lot of people will criticize Dawn of the Dead 2004 because of the way the zombies acted and how they they were fast zombies. And a lot of people didn't like that because zombies should be slow. But uh, when George A. Romero, the creator of the you know modern zombie, uh, in Land of the Dead, they became intelligent. They were intelligent zombies. They were running gas pumps. They were uh, you know learning to uh, adapt and to overcome. And uh, that's pretty much what happened in 2004, Dawn of the Dead. So, uh, all those critics out there, I got to pretty much... Fuck them. 
pretty much to give you a big fucking fuck you. Because, uh, you know, the creator of the zombie film ended up copying, you know, Son of the Dead. So. Well, one thing I agree with you, I mean, that was even showing up back in 1985 with Bub. You know, in the origin in Day of the Dead, you know they were teaching him how to do stuff. You know, and even at the end of the film, he was he was firing a pistol. You know, now whether that be by memory or whatever, but you know the good line in Dawn of the Dead two thousand four was, you know, why the hell are they coming after us? You know, and Ving Rhame says, you know, maybe they know we're here. Maybe it's memory. Maybe they just want to go the mo- you know. Um, I don't know ex- his exact words, but he was he was talking about how it possibly you know could be memory, or they just wanted to you know go to the mall, you know. And if there's some you know some spot of human that was left in him, but no, uh, look, I can appreciate all zombie movies, and uh, you know I I think you guys hit it right on the head. You know what I think with with. 2004's Dawn of the Dead is, you know, look, Danny Boyle in 2003 with, now a lot of people hate this, but I, I put 28 Days Later in the zombie genre, you know, because zombies could be anything from infected people, it can be anything from the living dead returning to life, it could be anything from, you know, voodoo spells, you know, that's enslaving people. So, you know, when Danny Boyle, you know, kind of upped the ante a little bit with 28 Days Later, you know, look, 2004's Dawn of the Dead was just the American kickback to, you know, what what was put out in Britain. Because it was, hey, you know, they're infected, but yet they're still dead. You know, they're returning to life. But now they're gonna chase your ass down and fucking eat you. So, you know, I, I agree with you. Now, let's talk about characters a little bit. Get a little bit of characters in the movie. What'd you guys think of Andy? Well, Andy was by far my my favorite uh, character. Um, he bunkered down, you know, most of the movie by himself. You really didn't see a whole lot from him. Uh, but. When it was uh, showtime, he really performed and uh, outperformed everybody else. Um, he was definitely prepared and was ready for it. And, uh, you know, it's sad to see him go the way he did, but uh, at the same time, uh, what else do you expect? There's 100,000 zombies at your door, and uh, you only have so much, you know, so much you can do. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, there's 100,000 zombies.
think about the CGI that's being used in horror movies, you know, from here on out. Cause I mean, there's some movies that are, that are okay and they're using the CGI well. And there's some movies, you know, with large budgets and everything else like I am legend that are just completely going overboard with the CGI to the point where it doesn't even look real. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that they are doing that to try and, you know, bring, I wouldn't say, the younger crowd, but, you know, more action, more ball. But, uh, you know, I, I think they feel like they, that they need to do that, but uh, I don't think that they do. Um, I think it's more realistic that they make it always the better, um, that people can relate to it. Um, but, uh and and I am legend. I think it was done almost overboard, but still in a good taste. Um, and they still had you know human characteristics for the most part. Um, but I think you know a zombie you know, in general is one point a human being either a an infected human or a uh, you know one that was dead that came back to life. Um, that feeds on other humans. And uh, if you think about it, just a simple, you know, cannibal kind of be considered a zombie. Long-term. Um, I mean, you know, you got the zillion you have eyes. Inbred. Think about it, they all have zombie characteristics. You're absolutely right. I mean, now, have you ever seen, I don't know if you ever not, Corey, I can't remember watching it when I was a kid, which would have been the time that you would have watched it. But uh, 
Have you ever seen Last Man on Earth, Vincent Price? No, I have not. Okay, that's what I Am Legend was taken from, which was also taken from the book by the same name, I Am Legend. Um, but in the Vincent Price, you know, black and white, I, I forget exactly what year it was, but in the black and white version with Vincent Price, they were more kind of put out to be kind of like vampires. And, uh, you know, but it, it kind of seems, you know, like a lot of people thought it would be, you know, the new I Am Legend is more like a zombie type movie. But, uh, but yeah, well, I mean, you know, what do you guys, what do you guys think about, about some other genres? Well, Crossing is a vampire. Um, what, I mean, the real big difference between a zombie and a vampire is, uh, about one feeds on blood, one feeds on flesh. It's not, they, they really... I mean, obviously, there's a bunch of other characteristics that are involved, daylight, so on and so forth. But uh, when you get down to, you know, the, the similarities, they're they're very similar. When they try to turn into whatever yeah. you were bit by, I mean, there's definitely a lot of similar characteristics in the two. Obviously, we don't have fucking wings to go flop in the night like vampires do because it's all yeah, and one thing, zombies definitely don't glitter in the sunlight. Yeah. Fucking vampires <laughs> don't glitter either. <laughs> fucking retarded fucking movie from my standpoint. Now, I don't know, the, the first Twilight was okay until he fucking started <laughs> glittering in the damn sun. But, uh... I have New Moon sitting on my table from Netflix. I have not yet watched it. Um, I have been told that I will not like it. Okay, I, I hate to ruin it for Corey. I'm going to make a comment about I, I have myself seen the New Moon. Um, it took me four or five sittings to actually watch it all the way through. How the fuck do you have a vampire or a werewolf movie and nobody dies? Can you, can you explain that? <laughs> oh, this is That's great. the best that I come up with, too. I laugh at the movie. Well, look, I look at it from a writing standpoint, you know, what Stephanie Meyer has done, and I'm trying to look at everything with a, with a big picture. Um, one of the hosts, you know, of the Rabbit Infectious podcast is Belinda. She's read all the books. Uh, Megan, John, and myself exactly. have not. So we keep looking for the big picture, and I don't know. I kind of like it. I'm taking different elements when I watch it. I thought the werewolves were pretty badass. Um, I'm waiting for the next movie before I make my decision on the first two. That's that's my take on the Twilight series. Well, I've heard uh, they're coming out with. They're going to make the fourth movie as well. They were originally going to combine the third and fourth book to a third movie, but they have now decided to uh, expand it to a fourth movie. Well, well I've heard that the third movie was going to be standalone for the third book, and I heard that the fourth book might possibly be split in two movies. 
causing, yeah, causing five parts. So you want, you want to know how I honestly feel about the two Twilight movies so far, which I can be a living experience. Sure. Um, you want to make your girlfriend happy. You want to make your wife happy. Take her to see Twilight one or two. You'll get laid that night. <laughs> that that was the sole purpose of them making Twilight. It is a chick flick. It is a love story. <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate them opening up the genre to other. Uh, other walks of life, the younger crowd, uh, to girls and women that may not want to watch the blood and gore, maybe slowly bring them into it, you know, with the whole vampire werewolf aspect. But at the same time, can't you call them something else? You have to use the word vampire and werewolf because that's not what they I mean, I, I, I have not seen the second one, so I cannot really comment on werewolves. But I can't, I can't say that I dislike love stories or anything else. You know, I, I there's a, a movie that I really, really enjoyed watching called The Notebook, was a love story completely off subject. It was a good movie, but when I want to see vampires and I want to see werewolves, I want to see blood, I want to see guts, I want to see murder. You know, that's what I think of. You know, look at all the underworld, excellent movies, all of them. Well. Okay, that, let, those let's. Those kind of movies right there is what I think of when I think of vampires and werewolves. Well, let's let's go ahead and talk about vampires real quick. Um, first of all, what do you guys think about the actual the lore behind the vampire? Of hey, vampires can't walk out in daylight. When Bram Stoker's Dracula, Dracula could walk, you know, during the day among people. Um, what do you guys think about that? Do you think that's kind of a cop out and kind of bullshit? Because I'm sorry, but werewolves or if vampires do exist, I'm sure they can walk among us, you know, during the day. I think a lot of that was to have a storyline. I mean, without, you know, look at like the movie played, um, you, know, you had your daywalkers, and then you had the people that didn't come out at night. You know, there was several different forms of the vampires, and without having those different aspects in those, you didn't have that movie. You know, that movie ceased to exist if if they could walk out during the day. You remember, there's only one Dracula. Of course, he would have more power, and everything else, everybody else would lose powers along the way. Because the bloodline would get, you know, weaker and weaker, um, those are their characteristics. Well, that's, that's just like bringing back Blade, you know, the most recent Blade. You know, they still bring up, in a sense, Dracula. I can't remember exactly what his name was, but this, when they explained the guy that they were bringing back from the dead or whatever, the number one vampire, they referred to him as Dracula, and he could walk in the sunlight. And he didn't die. He didn't catch on fire. I think Blade was probably one of the better vampire movies that have been out, uh, especially in you know recent years. And even it hasn't been recent, but uh, I think you know the person that made Blade that I enjoyed the most was uh, Chris Christopherson as the uh, the weapons guy. Thank you, thank you, man. He was fucking. That was just kick ass. I, I'd have to say with the new one, with Kennedy, with Jessica Biel, 
Wow. That's, that's good. I mean, what, what, what better to watch a vampire movie where you've got blood, you've got guts, you've got guns, you've got swords, to yet see this smoking hot chick carrying a badass freaking bow shooting arrows, dude. I mean, come on now. Well, here's the thing. If you guys, uh, you guys remember the end of the third one when they kind of had the whole spinoff of the Night Stalkers? Would you guys be willing to go and see that in the theater? Or do you guys even remember that part? Where the werewolf come busting in to the casino and Jessica Beale and Ryan Reynolds, they come busting in. Going after the werewolf. I I vaguely remember it, and uh, yeah, I'd be up if Jessica Beale's in it. Not a problem. <laughs> no <laughs> shit, that's one great. Of seven heavens. When I was a kid, it was my favorite show, dude. She is hot. <laughs> All right, so you know everything that I watch, you know, has a bit of horror in it. You know, like I said, you know, even the kids' movies. You know, with my son watching the Monster Mash. But I've stopped watching Saul and all the torture porn. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I like Saul 1. I like Saul 2. I like Saul 3. But it just it started becoming the same old shit, you know. I liked Hostel 1. I liked Hostel 2. You know, they haven't made a Hostel 3. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I was... I was Kind of wondering, you know, what your guys' take on on the actual horror porn is, but you know, I, I thought you had something to bring up, Corey. If you want, I'll go ahead and answer that for you. Um, I I only watched Fall uh, One and Two. Um, I kind of lost interest after that, and uh, I've only seen Hostel One, and. Uh, I thought Salt 1 and 2 were good, but, you know, it, it was turning to be the same old shit. How many different soldiers they really come up with that was, you know, unique and really caught my attention. Um, I think probably the one that i seen out of the first two movies that got me the worst uh, was, uh, I think it was the second one. They're in that house. They had to stay there 24 hours or whatever that camera crew. Right. And they had to get locked in. That girl holding that pit of dirty needles. Yep. That was probably the, the one the one part that made me cringe the most. I mean, that's what got me. I don't, I don't know. I don't like dirty needles. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was pretty fucked up. But, I mean, you know, it gets to the point where you get tired of some things. Now, you had asked me earlier... Uh, about what I, you know, as a spokesperson for the Rabbit Infectious podcast, you know, what I kind of define horror as. And I define horror as anything that's unnatural, supernatural, or natural that just completely goes beyond a comfort level. You know, whatever comfort level, you know, may be for some person, All movies are designed for a particular audience in mind. Now, if it goes out and reaches for another audience and brings them in too, then, you know, that's 
that's a bonus, and that's where the box office numbers really get big. You know, The Orphan, have you guys seen that? No. Okay. I, I think I have seen that. Okay. I believe that's a horror movie. You know, it's something that's natural, yeah, could happen. Yeah. It's not exactly way overboard, you know, but that is a horror movie to me. Um, anything that's werewolf, horror movie, vampire, horror movie. You know, you're bringing in supernatural elements. Ghost, that's a horror movie. You know, depending on what it is, that doesn't matter, but, you know, beyond the story. The Others, even though that story had a twist in it, and... You know, it was not necessarily the scariest movie. That is a horror story. You know, that that's reminiscent of, you know, Edgar Allan Poe and, you know, a lot of the other horror writers that just bring the dark side of a story, you know, and add that twist. That's what I define horror as, you know, as, as the spokesperson for the Rabbit Infection podcast. Anything... Supernatural, natural, or unnatural completely that gives you a feeling of unease. You know, kind of gives you the willies just a little bit. Um, what, what would be your thoughts on that paranormal activity? Have you seen that one? Yes, I have seen that one. Would you, would you classify that then by what you just said as somewhat of a horror movie? Yes, yes. Now, regardless of... It really made me feel a little uncomfortable. Well, here's the thing, you know, regardless of, you know, if I liked it or not, which, which I didn't necessarily like the movie, but I liked what they did. Now, I'm also one of those guys that I liked the Blair Witch Project. I didn't necessarily care for the movie all the time, you know, I watched it and I was like, eh, it's okay, but I appreciated what they did and how they did it and how they filmed it. And, you know, the money that was put behind it and the marketing and what it turned into. You know, I like that. I myself, I am a very story-driven guy. You got to have a good story. You know, me, John, Belinda, and Megan, we constantly bitch about all these lower fucking budget movies, which in fact, Corey, I seen Abominable last weekend. And I'm so glad I didn't fucking rent that motherfucker. Because it was it was an absolute piece of shit, and uh, you know, but it's it's the smaller movies like that that we constantly bitch about. That even though you have no budget whatsoever, have a fucking story. You know, that's if you have a decent story, a lot of people can overlook a bunch of the technical problems, and. You know, once they look past those issues, you could still make some fucking money off of a lower budget, you know, you know, indie film. So, but no, that, you know, getting back to it, that's exactly what I classify horror. You know, it's just something, you know, makes you feel uneasy, you know, gives you the mood, unnatural, natural, or supernatural. It doesn't matter which, you know, because there are so many different genres in it. I think with your 
definition, I got a movie that uh, a lot of people probably don't uh, have never heard of. Kind of goes um, a lot with uh, the survival tech and uh, what we are trying to do and uh, what, what we, you know, uh, I wouldn't say stand for, but stand for, for lack of a better term, three o'clock in the morning. But uh, that's the movie Thread. It was a uh, British movie made about um, nuclear war. Um, it was the beginning of the uh, movie, and nuclear blast goes off. And uh, ever since then, um, from that blast time, it's all about survival. And uh, that is a movie that was actually banned from the United States. Um, because of the uh, content that it showed and the uneasy feeling that it gave you um, at the end of the movie. I won't ruin the movie, but uh, at the end Go of the ahead. movie, it really make you think um, about what would happen during a uh, nuclear blast and hey, Corey. The, uh, the outcome and the um, effect, side effects that uh, has long term. Hey, it really gives you uneasy feelings of, uh, uh, you know, what's possibly out there and uh, what is possibly to come. Hey, Corey? Yes, let, let, let me go ahead and stop you. Um, okay, anybody who wants to see threads unedited and unspoiled, go ahead and, you know, pause it now. Corey, go ahead and spoil it. For everybody else, that's what the Rabbit Infectious Podcast is all about. You know, we are going to discuss movies, but when we discuss them, we discuss them as a full. And I really think, because, look, our father told us about Threads when we were younger. And when we watched it, you know, we already knew what was going to happen. And we still watched the goddamn movie. So, go ahead and... For those who want to hear the spoiler, then go ahead and listen. But tell them what happens, you know, towards you know the second and third and fourth generation of the survivors. Yeah, um, in the beginning of the movie, if you have a couple that's together in a uh, car. Next thing you know, the blast goes off, and uh, at the end of the movie, by the most uh, uneasy and uh, disturbing thing you'd ever see. Um, the woman gives birth to a uh, mutated child, and uh, the feeling of it is that knowing what happens to the you know what is going to happen to that child. Um, you know the baby is definitely born that is uh, um, not right. Um, it is all mutated, and uh, it's definitely not going to live. But uh, Knowing what the nuclear blast and fallout can do, the radiation, what it can cause, is uh, definitely an unsettling um, place to uh, to be, and it really kind of turns your stomach to think uh, what people go through during times like that. And uh, seeing that baby being born, um, it was probably you know one of the most disturbing things I've seen in the film um, yet. And uh, even though it was uh, you know, a British film, um, it really touches the harder thing. And uh, that movie was actually remade um, for the American audience. And uh, it was called uh, The Day After. Uh, not to be used with uh, The Day After Tomorrow, uh, but The Day After was an atomic bomb blast 
that went off in the fall of these uh, few uh, families. And um, there was one family that lived on a farm, and the uh, daughter ran out into the field after the blast went off. She just couldn't you know, stand being in the cellar anymore. And there was nuclear fallout, and she got radiation poisoning and lost her hair and became sick and uh, was dying. And they was all trying to get help for uh, the family and the families involved. And it wasn't as gruesome and it wasn't as explicit as uh, the movie Thread, but um, it definitely you know made you think. Well, very good. Why? What is the deal with, you know, Corey said it was very made for the American audience. Um, why the hell are they, why is there so much restriction and stuff on these movies, but yet we have an age-based guideline that they have to follow on how to rate a movie? Put the MA for TV mature on their 18 or older. If you don't like it, if you don't fucking watch it. That's a problem. If parents out there need to have a little bit more control over what their kids are watching, and they won't have to worry about them watching this shit on TV. They was a better goddamn parent with more worry about that going out hugging a fucking tree. Buddy, that's the problem with society in general here lately. Everybody is looking to pass the buck onto somebody else, and I agree with you. You know, look, I'm sick and tired of all these unrated director's cuts coming out in fucking movies, you know, when we get the fucking DVD and what they add in to the fucking movie explains so much more of what the movie than what you see in the fucking theater. So when you see it in theater and you're like, ah, it's an okay movie, you get the DVD, you watch the whole thing in its complete director's, you know, cut entirety, which is what the director wanted to see. You know, and wanted to present to everybody, then everything makes sense. You know, I am so sick and tired of that myself. You know, but look, that's the society we live in, and we either need to, you know, conform and accept it or, you know, uprise. So, so why can't it go the other way? Why can't we have the, instead of the director's cut, the director's cut should be the original cut because. Obviously, it's the director of the movie, so why would we call it a director's cut and have, like, a tree-hugger's cut for all them goddamn do-gooders out there that don't want to see boobies in a movie and don't want to see blood and don't want to hear the F word every five minutes. What word is that? What's that? What word is that? What, the F word? Yeah. Fuck. You got it, buddy. Rabbit Infectious Podcast, always explicit, just for you. Well, very good. Well, look, it is getting super late, you know, and uh, after we get done, I want to hang on the phone with you guys for a little bit. But I want you guys, okay, because Rabbit Infectious Podcast, look, we talk horror. We talk horror movies. We talk horror books. We talk all things horror. Sometimes that shit hits close to home. So... I have finished my rum. So, I want you guys to go ahead and give me a true story of something that has happened to you, whether it be ghosts, whether it be, you know, hillbillies, whether it be situations, whether it be 
Bigfoot in the woods, whatever the fuck you guys got. Give me one good story to give me nightmares for the night. I'll start off. Uh, two years ago, was uh, looking for land by. I uh, was looking for 30, 40, 60 acres. And uh, somewhere uh, remote um, that we could get away to, kind of like a bug out location. And uh, we traveled down to West Virginia. Uh, we didn't go to the cities of West Virginia. We went to back in the holler. We went back in the backcountry, where places that hadn't seen modern equipment since fucking coal miners arrived there, the fucking late 1800s. Um, I tell you what, we came across people that you thought only existed in movies. Uh, people that think Deliverance is a movie are fucking full of shit. It's fucking real life, and they live down there, and uh, they are nothing to mess with. Um, we pulled in this one property. And uh, we started strapping on our guns and getting our maps that we had that from the owner. Uh, we had already talked to him. They were all good. This was being down there. And uh, out of fucking nowhere, I mean, this was a you know dirt road, nothing around. Cars are pulling in while we're parked there. And uh, this guy gets out. And uh, big old guy, big old beer gut. Uh, he's probably 6'4", six, 6'5", six, doing tobacco, no uh, chewing tobacco rolling out of the side of his mouth, down on his white t-shirt. And, uh, first thing he says, Ma, I don't like no one on our property. And, uh, we kind of turned and looked around and said, what the fuck was going on? And, uh, sure enough, here's this guy come walking up. Oh, and, uh, my dad, uh, let him know that, uh, we were armed and, uh, that dad had a, uh, was carrying a, uh, 45 on the side. And uh, the guy we nicknamed Earl uh, said, yeah, well, I got a 44 Magnum behind my back. And Dad said, yeah, well, my son's got a 10 millimeter. He's a better shot than I, and he's standing right behind you. And I'll tell you what, that guy gave me the creep because uh, hills have eyes. The hills do have eyes. That guy came out of freaking nowhere. He was on top of us, and uh, he was he was no bullshit. He was straight up. Yeah, you know, you're on our property, we will shoot, and they will never find your body. And that's probably the most freaked out I've ever been in my life. Um, needless to say, we didn't buy that property. We couldn't get to it. Uh, the farthest we could get in was about uh, 50 yards into the property, then it went to a creek. And then the only way to get to the other 60 acres was uh, 400 foot straight up a cliff. Um, the only way to get to the top of the cliff was either go on to uh, Earl's property or uh, use a helicopter or climbing ropes, and that wasn't going to happen. We went on to another piece of property, and uh, we got we got turned around down the holler, and we had to stop in that direction. There's old lady out uh, working in her garden, and uh, she's like, oh, it's just over them hills. Those hills are the Appalachian Mountains. And uh, so we start driving over these hills and going the way she said, and we get turned around. We turn around a couple times find this town, the only thing in this town is the same grocery store. We stop at this grocery store because most of the towns down there are unincorporated. No post office, no nothing. You're lucky if they have a church. That's about it. And uh, we go into this, this grocery store and we ask for the direction. Of course, everyone's arguing which way is the best way to go. But everyone agreed on one thing. You don't go through that big tunnel. You come through a small tunnel, but don't go through that big tunnel. We're like, okay, well, what the hell is a big tunnel? 
So uh, by that time, my Jeep about ready to run out of gas. We pull into this gas station where gas is like three eighty a gallon. Uh, obviously, the, the supply and demand down there ain't very good. And uh, we're parking there and we're pumping. And uh, all of a sudden, these two trucks come barreling in there full, uh, full tilt, slamming on the brakes. These rednecks get out. And, of course, they got, you know, uh, guns in the back of the window. And which ain't nothing wrong with that. I'm all for that. But just the way these people were acting gave you an uneasy feeling. And uh, my dad was pumping the gas. He ended up letting about $10 run on the ground. He just wanted to get the fuck out of there. And uh, came across that big tunnel. We finally found it. There was a fork in the road, just like everyone said. But there was also a third of the road that went up above the big tunnel. Well, we got their directions turned around. We went to go that big tunnel. There's a house up there. The guy on a four-wheeler. He stopped and asked him, hey, is this the way? He's like, no. They're screaming at it. All of a sudden, he just takes off on this four-wheeler down this hill right by, uh, underneath the uh, big tunnel. Plans on his brake at the fork in the road. He points the other direction. He's like, that way. So we take off and we go that way. We're like, what the hell? Is that big tunnel? We find the little tunnel. We cross these bridges that are no more than fucking you know, two-by-sixes going across the river. No side rails, no nothing. And uh, we finally get to the property we're looking at, and a uh, beautiful piece of property, nice flat land. Uh, but going up the hill, there's about a point of a cliff on the right-hand side with no guardrail. And uh, it was right, it uh, backed up to Cowboy Lingo State Forest down in West Virginia. And uh, we stopped at the uh, uh, gift shop down there and uh, happened to find the lady that was from Ohio. And I was working there. We were talking to her, and we're like, well, what the hell is the big tunnel? And uh, she's like, oh, that big tunnel, that dropped off straight into a mine. And, like, there's an abandoned mine back there, and the, the road just dropped right off into it. i tell you what, that's about the freak out I've ever been, I think I ever will be in my life, because those people just make you feel uneasy. And all those roads were named the same. It was all hollered off. That's my story. Man, that's a good one, dude. Did it give you the wrong turn feeling? www.survivaltech.web.com. I will be uh, posting some pictures of uh, the big tunnel and um, pictures of the bridges that we crossed along with some of the properties to give you everyone an idea of uh, what we were driving through. Well, very good. And in case anybody missed that while I was over-talking Corey right there, that is www.survivaltech.com. .webs.com Jason, do you have a story for us, buddy? Well, nothing as strange as that. I kind of got a little bit of goosebumps listening to that story. But uh, mine is a little more broad. Um, I think it happens to just about everybody. But uh, You ever had one of those, you know, you, you go outside, you know, it's in the middle of the night or something, you go get something out of your car or whatever, and Turn your head real fast to come around and close the door, and you swear to God there was somebody standing there, but you look and there was nothing there. <laughs> yeah. Um, about once a week, it seems like I get that. Yeah, you know, once a week, once every two weeks or so. You know, it just it freaks the shit out of me for some reason. And you know, it's, it's always one of the ones where you like get all freaked out. You lock your door real fast, slam it, you take off running into the house like a little kid. You know. Yeah. And you can't freaking sleep. All night long, you like every every little noise. You like wake up thinking somebody's coming down the hallway or something. I get that happen to me uh, 
quite often. I thought that would be a little bit. That's about the, the craziest thing I could think of. Well, that's awesome. Well, as for me, you know, I, I think we talked about it last episode. Uh, I found my file, and I'm going to be posting my file of the little EVP that I found. And uh, not that I found, that, that I actually recorded. And uh, we're going to go ahead, and we're going to see exactly what everybody thinks what it says. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to leave it, you know, straight through. Um, then I'm going to amplify it up a little bit. And then I'm going to amplify it up a little bit more. Then I'm going to tell everybody what I think it says. And Corey's heard it before. Look, I'm not saying my house is haunted or not. I don't know. I don't I don't know exactly. You know, no one knows, you know, if ghosts do exist or not. I'm just saying, look. It's pretty fucked up what I caught, you know, on my little tape recorder. So, uh, I'm going to be posting that on my website, and you guys can go and visit it. So, as far as now, it's getting late. I would like to thank Corey at Survival Tech for uh, spending so much time with us tonight and giving us so much good insight on everything from movies, games, you know, the newest and and survival um, not only items, but, you know, ways of thought. I would like to thank Jason for joining him and joining us tonight. Um, maybe we can do this, you know, about maybe once a month or, or something like that. Uh, maybe once every two months. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to possibly getting together with these guys. You know, how one of them is my, my own goddamn brother. So we're going to definitely be getting together and, uh, you know, going camping and trying out some of this stuff. And maybe we can go ahead and add some videos to both the Rabbit Infectious Podcast and Survival Tech's website. And uh, we'll go from there. So definitely go and check out Corey at Survival Tech, which is www.survivaltech.webs.com. If you guys go ahead and stay on the line with me, um, I'm going to go ahead and close out the show. But thank you guys very much for joining me tonight and being my very first interview. Well, thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Well, very good. Well, uh, I guess, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and take a little break, and then I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show. So to all the listeners out there, I'll be back in just a bit. Well, this concludes Episode 6. I would like to thank all the listeners out there for tuning in and checking us out. This has been a neat one. I uh, I got a chance to test out some new equipment like the Portable Studio. And also had our very first interview with Corey from Survival Tech and his friend Jason. I would like to thank them for, for the time that they gave us. Um, definitely go and check them out. SurvivalTech.webs.com And... As far as episode 7, uh, we're going to have the whole crew back and probably bring you a more traditional formatted podcast like we usually do. Um, 
but as far as now, you can go ahead and you can reach us and leave us a voicemail at 206-600-6202, or you can send us an email, and that is ripshowcrew at yahoo.com. And also, definitely go and check out the website, and that is ripshow.webs.com. So until next time, have a good one, and thank you. Thank you for listening. Visit the show's website at www.ripshow.webs.com. Join the members area and don't forget to stop at the RIP Tavern Forum. Contact us at ripshowcrew at yahoo.com. 